0: Welcome to the Brick and Mortar Reborn podcast, the show designed to help you keep a pulse on the fast-changing world of brick and mortar. As the world reopens and operators race to meet the rising expectations and demands of experience-driven post-COVID consumers, it's more important than ever to stay ahead of the curve and understand the trends and technologies that will shape the future. In each episode, we'll interview successful operators, subject matter experts, and leading thought leaders who will share their insight to help you prepare yourself and your organization for what lies ahead. Here's your host, Bobby Marhamat, CEO of Radiant. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Brick and Mortar Reborn. Today, we have a very special guest with us, Jenna Posner who is the chief digital officer for Snipes. Jenna, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Bobby. Appreciate the opportunity.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So you have a great background, which we'll get to in a second. But again, I wanted to thank you for spending some time with our listeners. As we kind of talked about pre-show, large majority are on the retail side and would love to hear you know, some of your experience, if you will, and, and some of your journey. So without further ado, if you don't mind starting out with letting us know about Jenna, we'll go from there.
1: Oh, man, where do I start? Um <laughs> Yeah, so I absolutely love to. So, you know, my journey is definitely a little unique. I actually have spent the majority of my retail career on the tech vendor side. Building partnerships, enabling integration, selling technology uh, into retailers is predominantly where I spent the majority of my career. Uh, had a unique opportunity to come to the retail side. I thought, cool, a cool opportunity to see how the other half Lives and, and see if all all of the allure and all the ideas and all the assumptions that we had as retail tech vendors was really true or not. And so it's it's all true now. No, it's been really <laughs> fun coming over and been learning a lot. It's been it's been wild over here. We're on a bit of a rocket ship here at Snipe. So yeah,
0: yeah. And what brought you? What, what got you excited about joining Snipe? Like what was what was the kind of aha
1: moment to join? Yeah, it's funny. The story is pretty pretty hilarious. Uh, I met my now boss at Shop Talk out in Vegas, and I was pitching her on localization technology. And before I knew it, I was getting a job offer, which <laughs> Didn't really make any sense. Didn't really make any sense. But I think what was so alluring to me was Snipes already had such an established business in the European market uh, that I kind of felt like it was ours to lose. You know, I'm not sure how much you know about the sneaker and streetwear industry, but you know, you're pretty much as strong as your best vendor relationship. And when your best vendor is Nike, that relationship is super key. So knowing that Snipes was so established as the top three sneaker and streetwear retailer in Europe, competing with the JDs and the footlockers of the world knowing that leveraging that infrastructure, that roadmap, that success model, and especially those vendor relationships here in the U.S. market gave me a lot of confidence that, yeah, it was ours to lose. So, you know, it's funny. I I came over here and thought, you know, we're we're cheating. <laughs> we, we seem like this brand that's brand new to the market and just kind of up and coming. But you know, we've got a lot of legacy knowledge and practices that are helping us really springboard the business.
0: Awesome. So now walk us through sites. What what is Snipes all about? You have a uh, good number of stores. You've been in business for a while. Like, Talk us through what Snipes is all about.
1: Yeah, so we were founded in Germany in 1998. Our founder, Sven Both, is still our CEO today, even after being acquired by the Deichmann Group in roughly seven years ago. Uh, Deichmann is the fourth largest footwear holding company on the planet, right? So some serious yeah. muscle behind the the, uh, Absolutely. the corporate relationship here. In fact, they were in our offices today in from Germany. It was pretty pretty great to spend some time. But it was always his goal and always his dream to come to the U.S. And so by way of acquisition in early 2019, Snipes acquired Kix USA, which was a 64 location regional chain based out of Philly. Roughly six months later, we acquired Mr. Allen's, which was a 28 location chain based out of Detroit. Yeah. At the end of last year, we acquired Jimmy Jazz, which is a 167 location, a chain that kind of goes from the Midwest and shoehorns around down to Texas, all the way down the East Coast. And about four days after that acquisition, we acquired Expressions, which was roughly a 30 location retailer out of New England. And so with a combination of acquisitions and and store growth and organic growth, you know, we've we've been able to grow the practice pretty, pretty quickly. And we now have over 300 stores in the U.S. market. And we've grown the digital practice here by 10x over the past three years. So it's on fire.
0: That's awesome. That's really awesome. What's what's the day in the life of Jenna look like at your company?
1: Yeah, that's it's podcasts. No, I'm just kidding. No, it's, you know, I've got a team of 50. When I I was hired, we had about 10 people on board running the digital team here. So I support three main disciplines. One is customer experience. That's where order management, customer service, all of our omni-channel functionality kind of lives. The second is innovation and development. It's where our third-party SIs, internal dev teams, innovation, roadmap all live. And then the third is more focused on the front end. So performance marketing product enablement, merchandising, categorization, etc. You know, my role is to inspire and support and enable those three channels of the business to really thrive. And so I do that through, you know, normal management, but also through looking forward and trying to find technologies that can really help expedite and augment our efforts. So whether it's augmenting the team, creating efficiencies, or driving more effective tech to to drive that customer to the finish line, no pun intended, that's my job. So I, I will say that, in my time here, I came on as a VP of of digital and been able to grow the role into a CDR role. That CDR roles really allowed me to take a breath, take a step back, put more ownership and leadership into my next layer of developed resources. And it's allowed me to sit on more client advisory boards, get deeper into this concept of partnership with my vendors, look more at not just our own innovation and our own roadmaps, but theirs as well. Yeah. To make sure that I can selfishly drive them in directions that are going to help expedite my my own agenda. So totally. those relationships for me now are really, really important. And having the time to really engage and invest in them have paid off.
0: Makes sense. Makes total, total sense. What You probably see a lot of technology day to day. What, what sort of technology excites you the most right now?
1: So it's kind of funny. Uh, it's a good question. When I came on board uh, three years ago, three and a half years ago, I realized very quickly that the way that Kix USA was managed was very store first, right? Typical retail agenda, right? Like very store first. Yep. And, oh, we got to have this e-commerce thing. And so what was happening from a practice perspective was a product was being purchased for stores and a, a percentage of uh, that product was being allocated to e-commerce for sale. And I saw a huge opportunity to flip that on its head and create some more autonomy for digital by. Leveraging dropship technology to give us a low-risk, no-risk way of engaging with new vendors, taking risks, testing new markets where our stores might not be. And it took a while to sell it in. You know, selling a technology that hits so many different cross-departmental dependencies is often very difficult. And so I was actually able to, to win on that one through the lens of acquisition. I'll explain. So I went to leadership and said, hey, listen, we just acquired Jimmy Jazz, which is actually a larger organization than ours and we're ingesting, we're swallowing this, this turkey right now. Like, yeah. how are we going to do this? How are we going to do it quickly? I saw a way to circumvent the need to go through a really heavy order management migration by putting dropship in between us and the newly acquired business. And so I did that. And that's allowed us to really offer parity as it relates to a product assortment to those Jimmy Jess customers to give them confidence that if and when they come over and if and when that Jimmy Jess site will be no longer we will still have access to the same product, the same assortments and be able to service those consumers as effectively as Jimmy Jazz had throughout its entirety uh, of its existence. And so that was a really big win for us. And so we've been, we've done that. It's cranking, working with Fabric on that, Fabric Marketplace. And I know it's like a, a new old thing for us. Dropship isn't new, like EDI integrations are not new, but I thought that using it as a mechanism for migration, I thought that was pretty, pretty innovative. And now we've got this you know, beautiful piece of technology that's implemented that we can use to hit the ground running and get after some of those more kind of niche brands that maybe aren't quite ready to support the velocity that a store footprint buy might require, and allow us to help take them to market and earn the right to get into our store footprint. So that's something that we're really excited about, and something that a comp I don't have to meet next year. Right? It's all it's all incremental uh, yeah. next year. So I'm I'm really bullish on it. I think it's going to be effective and drive a lot of incremental value.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. You think about, you know, as you kind of are are speaking through, you have both. I'll call it an online and offline type of, you know, uh, motion, if you will. What strategies do you use to make sure that the customers, whether they're going to your stores or they're buying digitally, kind of have that same experience?
1: Yeah, you know, it's coming from the retail tech side, you know, pitching omnichannel and pitching technologies that help kind of stitch together those environments. I mean, that's just been out there for a decade, right? We've been telling this story. This need to identify this for so long. The challenge is that the legacy systems that have been inhibiting us from really connecting the dots. Haven't gone away, right? They're hard to rip out. And so it's not like it got any easier to connect those systems. We've done a really good job here. Roughly 50% of our e commerce orders are fulfilled by store. So not only do I have a DC with allocated inventory, but I've got 300 fulfillment sites that I can tap into and really benefit from when certain things catch fire or Google (laughs) creates a trend that we can then benefit from. So that's been really helpful. So from a fulfillment perspective and an inventory visibility perspective, we're we're really strong there. This past year, we've implemented BOPIS, and not the fake BOPIS that most mm-hmm. people implement. We buy <laughs> online, ship to store, wait three days and then go pick it up, right? Yeah. Uh, this is actually securing the inventory that's in the desired pickup location the moment it's purchased. And that's been, that was hard. It was hard to do, but it's in a really good place. I think we've taken a unique approach there as well. I'll walk you through it. and You can tell me if it's interesting. <laughs> so, <laughs> essentially, what we do at the PDP level is as you select your size, Rather than having the find near me or check my store or, you know, that really dejecting experience where the answer is like 99% of the time it's no, instead of doing that, we decided to take a more proactive approach. So if the consumer is within a radius of the size and the style that they've selected, we just let them know. Mm-hmm. And we expose the inventory position as it relates to where they are and the okay. store that is nearest them. We then create a quick checkout experience. That allows them to have a, you know, quick impulse buy right off the PDP. No cart, we circumvent the entire process and we just let you secure that unit and it sends it to the store for pickup. Even if they're going to BOPUS multiple units, having them in these unique fulfillment cycles is just easier for the store to manage from an yeah. perspective. And it's been really, really well utilized. Pickup rates are really strong. Utilizations over 3% across our order volume. So I mean, we're seeing, yeah. It's been good. So that investment was certainly worth it. Yeah. So Bopus has been fantastic. And ship from store is obviously something that we're, we're utilizing every day.
0: That's great. That's great. So you expose the inventory and then, you know, just right off the bat, they can see where it's available or not. That's uh, that's that's great. That is actually a big point. You're right. 99 or whatever the percentage is, majority of the time, the stuff's not available where you want it to be. Right. So 100%. Yeah. yeah. And if
1: it's not there, just don't show it. Right. Yeah, I mean, exactly. why, why, why taunt the customer? Exactly. <laughs> why, a bad experience. So yeah, small a nuanced, but I think it was a good tweak.
0: No, it makes a big difference. Yeah. As you're talking through it, I think that, that that's great. What do you think and tied into that? What do you think is kind of the future of commerce? Like, you know, we talk about a lot of, you know, unifying point of sale type mechanisms, you know, carts, you know, to be able to use that for kind of similar products that may be in store, et cetera. What, what do you think is the future of commerce and how you're building it?
1: There. Yeah, so we're in the middle of a Mad Mobile implementation. So the beauty of Mad Mobile is that you don't have to rip out any of those legacy systems that kind of layers and creates an interface right on top, right? So as far as friction goes, decision making goes, you can kind of like lay down all of the emotional baggage that comes in with like admitting defeat and ripping something out. It's nice you don't have to tackle that. You can kind of just layer something right on top. The beauty of Mad Mobile and MPOS in general. Is that it's a really great way to aggregate both physical and digital data. And I think the big realization that's come across this organization is that, and I kind of preach this all the time, is that customer walks in store and they have this really great interaction with store associate, right? They find exactly what they want and they check out and they spend a healthy amount. They walk out that door, you're not talking to them until they come back in. Yeah. So it's a huge missed opportunity to not find a way to capture information and data. And set the expectation that that store associate or that store or that region is going to be engaging and communicating with that customer. And so what Mad Mobile allows us to do is create an environment that not only encourages them to identify themselves, but if they have a digital footprint with us, right, a digital fingerprint with us, then we can pull that context into the store experience as well. So we can look at their existing cart, we can see their favorites, we can look at past purchases, we can dynamically recommend products that are more likely to buy at the intersection of what's in that physical store. And so it allows our store associates to be much more armed with data. You know, I think in general, working on the sales floor is pretty subjective, but not every consumer wants to buy that way. We know that because we age with digital all the time. So... How do we bring that digital element into the physical store and give those associates more context, more ammunition, and yeah, more more tools to better engage those consumers and drive value?
0: Makes sense. Makes sense. As you're thinking about your store locations, are you, yeah. you know, one of the things that we we talk you know, to, to many retailers about is how, you know, coming out of COVID, I want to call it coming out of COVID, hopefully that, that is the case. But as we're coming out of COVID, you know, the store locations become more of a, of a place where you really have to engage with that customer different than what people were doing kind of before. You have to really have, there has to be reason for them to visit the stores in most cases. Uh, and so as you're thinking yeah. about that, are there things that you've implemented, I'll call it again, post COVID or like in the future here that you're gonna implement that you think kind of adds to that engagement?
1: Absolutely. There is a huge arm of our marketing department born through this time, right? Throughout this past two year window that has really been leaning into this concept of supporting and empowering and celebrating our community. And our community isn't our customers. Our community is our customers and the neighborhoods in which we serve. Yep. You know, the reality is that we're in uber hyper urban areas. We are on the street. We're not really in malls that much, right? We are we're literally on the street. And yeah. Not only are our consumers from the neighborhoods that our stores are in, but so is our store staff, right? And so we've created opportunities to really engage with and connect with and give back to those communities. We have a plan by the end of this year to have a, um, it's an initiative called Crack the Code, which is where we actually create community computer centers in all of our major markets, fully stocked with snacks and computers and you know, Wi-Fi, giving access to community members that really need support that don't have that today. We give away thousands of turkeys on Thanksgiving. We, you know, are trying to end hunger in the U.S. You know, it's been unbelievable to watch this company pivot towards a more philanthropic angle that's dedicated to engaging with its communities and its and the culture that they represent. Yeah, it's 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 been a shift that we've seen over the last two years that has been pretty influential and is actually even trickling into our European strategies.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. That's great yeah. to hear. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think I think definitely kind of connecting with the community, connecting with the customers, connecting with people in that yeah. local community. And I think that's changed over over the you know time frames of, of COVID. I think you said you know, majority of your stores are not in malls. And I think people have actually centered around the non more of the strip malls and outside that venues yeah. to go and be deliberate about, you know, their shopping experiences. So that's great to hear. Yeah.
1: And it's everything from revitalizing basketball courts and implementing yeah. community gardens and giveaway. I mean, it's a lot. It's been really, really impressive, the amount of output and support and impact that they've been able to bring to the community.
0: That is awesome to hear. That's awesome to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Jenna, that was a wealth of information. You were very concise, which I love. Before we let you go though, you know, what are the three big pieces of advice that you give to retailers as they're trying to grow their, you know, we have a lot of people call in and say, hey, I have 10 stores, I want to grow to 20. I have 30 stores, I want to grow to 50. What is some advice that you give from a perspective of where you focus really on technology, digital experiences, et cetera? To be able to make them really prepare for next year and beyond.
1: The one that comes to mind immediately is, you know, just be willing to fail. I mean, you're gonna learn the most you possibly can by testing and failing and pivoting. You know, we have something called the CARTA. And it's essentially, you know, missions that we stand by here. It's things like get shit done, it's being authentic AF, it's keeping your ear to the street, right? One of our one of our sayings is fail fast, learn faster. And it's something that we do really well here. The second thing I'd say is. It doesn't always have to be you, right? Empower your teams, enable your teams, let them loose, set them free. As long as there's trust and a feedback loop, it really allows you to, to move fast. And the third and final piece that I'll say is executives these days are not spending enough time investing in their relationships with their technology vendors. And I experienced this firsthand on the tech side where you sign a contract, you get their implementation. And the retailers have, you know, wiped their hands and they're on, on to the next one. It's a huge missed opportunity. And finding a way to partner with vendors in a way that will help educate the market, help you have more leverage to negotiate your contract, have more accountability when they don't deliver what it is that they promised, and have the ability to influence their product roadmap to serve your needs. Executives need to take an ownership over building and fostering and supporting those relationships long term. I think it's it's time and it's something that I'm I'm very dedicated to.
0: That's awesome. Jenna, thanks again for your time today. That was a wealth of information. We appreciate you taking some time with our listeners.
1: Sure thing. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. Have a great rest of your day and we hope to hope to connect soon in person one day.
1: <laughs> I would love that.
0: Awesome. Have a great rest of your day.